more. Amen. Good job, ladies. Yeah. Well, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I, I want to give a big shout out to those of you who came yesterday and helped clean up our ground. So can we give them some love? All those who came and braved through the rain. Uh, we, but we just had a good time. You know, something about living here in Washington is that it doesn't matter if it rains, right? You just learn how to have a good time in the rain. And, uh, and we did. It was so much fun, and, and, and it looks great. So thank you for all of you who showed up and were part of this um, cleanup that we're doing. Well, if it's your first time here, welcome to Grace Church. My name is Omar. I'm a pastor here. And uh, I just, I'm just thankful that you're here to join us this morning because we're, we're getting geared up for Easter. And, and I believe that it's important for us as believers to get our hearts prepared for Easter because oftentimes these holidays just like, you know, they just creep up on us, right? Especially Easter because Easter changes all the time, right, on the date. And so sometimes it just sneaks up on us. And so I felt that it was important for us to slow down a bit and allow the Holy Spirit to kind of work through our hearts this Easter story in a fresh new way. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to take some time to really unpack uh, Jesus' final days before the cross. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to hear that. We're going to process that through our life groups. Because I just think it's important for us as believers to just realize the, the, the weight of what Jesus had to endure for our salvation. So, so that's what we're doing. That's what this whole series is about. We're in a series called The Servant King. Everybody say Servant King. Just trying to see if you're awake this morning, all right? Um, but we're doing uh, a look at the gospel account of Mark. Last week, I gave you the setup. I gave you a background on this author, John Mark, and I wanted you to see that, that this was a real person, a person who had weaknesses and had struggles, and we saw that God redeemed him and then used him ultimately to bring the first gospel account into the world. It's pretty amazing. If you weren't here, listen to uh, uh, last week's message because it just gives you some context of, of, of this author and his view of Jesus' story. So, so now we're going to dive into uh, to, to Jesus' night, or the night of Jesus' arrest in the garden. That's where we're going to start. And next week we'll go into the crucifixion, and then the third week we get to celebrate the resurrection. Are you with me? All right, well, let's get going. Well, I wanted to begin this morning with... Uh, with confessing a struggle that I have with you guys. Not with you guys, but I'm sharing with you guys, okay? Some of you guys got a little, like, buggered up. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> I love you guys. But is it okay? Like, if I could tell you some of my struggles, is that okay? All right? You're not going to judge me right away, right? Some of you guys that are brand new here, you're like, what kind of church is this? You know, I have this problem with... Uh, with, with extending grace. I know we're called grace. I have a problem extending grace sometimes to, to people who feel like the rules don't apply to them. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of that attitude of entitlement, you know? Like it just really gets me. It crosses all my values when I see this happening around me, you know, where, where there's somebody who thinks like, oh, yeah, the rules, you know, they, they're good, and I think everybody else should follow those rules, but, you know, I'm an exception to the rule. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Don't point at anybody here, Okay. <laughs> But, like, there's just something about that that just, that just gets me, you know? Like, for instance, um, last year, uh, my family, we got to go to Disneyland, you know, and Disneyland's great. And, there, and what's the number one thing you should expect at Disneyland, besides them taking all your money, right? <laughs> but it's like, lines, yes, lines, lines. You should expect to be in a line. And you know that in every line, there's line cutters, 
right? Every line has a line cutter. And, 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 and no matter what, you know, you're, you're in a line, and, and you always see somebody who's like, yeah, lines, lines there's a rule about that, but you know what? I, I'm a cutter. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my way in to that line. And, and, and I'm the type of guy that when I see that, I kind of like hold my ground, like I get my stance down, you know, kind of, you know, pray for your pastor, okay? I shouldn't be this petty, but like I do, I just kind of like, oh, something in me, you know, it's that value being crossed. And, and uh, this one particular ride, I mean, my family and I, we, we waited for almost an hour, you know, and, and we're only getting like, I mean, we're pretty close to the end of the line, you know, but we waited almost an hour. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about, like those lines, like they snake through, you know? And all of a sudden, I spotted those line cutters. You know, there's a group of them, right? They were like strength in numbers. You know, they were just kind of moving their way in. And they were kind of like elbowing and pushing and everything. And I'm just like, no, not today. You know, not today. <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit checks my heart at those times. You know what I mean? I'm just being real. And they were kind of moving in. And, 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 and everything in me wanted to like hold my ground, you know. But as they were coming through, uh, they passed us, you know. And I was just so wrong. I thought... They don't have any shame, you know what I mean, in what they're doing. You know, we're sitting here waiting, doing everything we're supposed to do, and these people are cutting through and, and, and all that. And then, as, I, as they started getting up to the, to the front of the line, you know, something really cool happened. One of the workers spotted them <laughs> and pulled them out of line. And they had to do the walk of shame, like, all the way back, you know. And I just wanted to clap, you know what I mean? Like, I wanted to do that whole, like, yeah, I didn't. But I wanted to, you know, everything in me, right? Because you see justice, you know, it's like, yes, justice. Or how about when you're driving, you know, on the freeway and you see this car coming by and, you know, they're being aggressive towards you, you know, you're going the speed limit a little over and they're honking or they're right on your tail, you know. And I had this happen to me not too long ago. There's this, this person, man, they're just really impatient and really getting irritated at me, and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, you know, and I'm just following my rules, you know, or the rules, and, and this person gets so angry that they kind of swerve, and they almost hit this other car just trying to get around me, and as he's going around me, he's letting me know, not that I'm number one, but the other thing, right, <laughs> and I'm like, how dare he? He's the reckless driver, right? He goes off, and then the coolest thing happened. <laughs> not even a mile down, I see him pulled over with the highway patrol, right? Yeah, I know, I know. He didn't know I was a pastor. You know that Grace Church sticker on the side of my car really saves me from a lot of bad moments? You should get one. I'll give them to you. But, you know, there's something satisfying about seeing justice, right? There's something about that. You know, we all have this innate desire in us, to, to, in our hearts, to see people justly punished for doing bad things. You know, I know my examples seem petty, but we understand times in our world and our times where we see justice happen, when we witness justice being served, and there is something satisfying about that. I think we all agree that that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. It's, I would say that it's a God thing, that God actually created us in a way that we would have that sense of wanting to see justice. Why? Because we're created in God's image, and God is a just God. And I think that we really believe in this and we have the desire to see justice happen as long as it is for the right person and that they get what they deserve, as long as that person is not us, right? That's the problem. See, anytime we hear scriptures about God's anger and God's wrath and God's justice towards sin, 
You know, there's a little bit of us that cringes, right? There's a little bit of us that's like, oh, I don't know if I want to hear this. Isn't that Old Testament stuff? I mean, what about, the, what about this, this Jesus of, of, of love and grace and mercy? And, and that's great, but they're like, when we talk about God's justice and his anger and his wrath, I mean, it just, it just doesn't feel great sometimes for us to study through the passage of Scripture. How many of you know that Jesus, God, he never changes, you know? And, 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 and so for us, man, we're just like, no, give me the other stuff, you know? And, and I want to tell you this morning that God is not a God of wrath and a God of love. He is one. In fact, what if I told you that God's love and God's wrath and God's justice actually go together perfectly and in harmony? And my hope is that through today's talk that you would sense that for yourself, that you would realize that for yourself. But before we get into this, can we pray? Can we just go to the Lord and come to him with an open heart as you were during the time of worship? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come together and learn together and receive together. There's something special about when we're together under your name. And Father, I pray that as I share this word, God, that it fall on, on hearts that are open. I pray, God, that as we recount this story, God, that maybe many of us have heard a hundred times, Lord, that it comes fresh and new, that we find some new details and a new thing that we've never seen before. But help us to have that heart to mine gold, God, to dig a little deeper, God, to, to really ask you, God, to work this into my life. So I ask that for myself, and I hope that somebody agrees with me this morning and asks for themselves, because that's how good your word is. Thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. So we're going to dive right into scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark chapter 14, 14, and I'm going to start right on verse 32. Uh, We'll have it up on the screen, but it's just really good when you have it right in front of you on your lap. Verse 32 says this. It says, they were at a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And I want you to really take note, and if you write on your Bible or take notes, really put out some things that stick out to you about Jesus at this time. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, sit here and watch and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it's possible that this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, you know the translation is Daddy, He says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. Simon, he said, what? He said, Simon, Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Verse 38, he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy. They did not know that what to say. Returning a third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I know I read a lot in there. But can we just take a moment and just really... Take a moment to receive that word and to realize what Jesus was going through in this moment. 
I mean, it breaks my heart. As I've been studying throughout the week, man, every time I got to this passage, man, it just, it just broke my heart that Jesus had to endure this moment. You know, the gospel writer, Luke, who was a physician, he, he, in his gospel account, he describes Jesus as having this medical condition called, and I might mess this up, so I'm sorry if I say it, but it's hematritrosis, which is a condition of the capillary blood vessels that, that, that feed the sweat glands and they rupture because somebody is under extreme physical, emotional pressure. Wow. I've been under a lot of pressure. I haven't been under that much pressure. But that Jesus was sweating drops of blood. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I want you to understand this, is that this was very unique in Scripture. I mean, we see Jesus throughout the gospel accounts facing some tremendous things, right? Like there was these teachers, these, these professors of the law, these, 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 these city leaders, and they would come and they would test Jesus. And what do we see Jesus? Jesus was never shook. He always, he always was calm and confident and, and, and spoke with authority. I mean, I would have just shrinked, you know? But Jesus stood up. When somebody was demon-possessed and they came in front of Jesus, Jesus was calm and, and had the authority. So we see Jesus even in the, in the midst of a fierce storm where career fishermen uh, were scared for their lives. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was asleep. Jesus was calm. He was at peace. I mean, Jesus in the Gospels went through so many crazy situations, and yet we never see him this distressed. I want you to see how unique this moment is that Scripture's given us is that at this point, Jesus is so much under stress that he's sweating blood. He's going through this pressure. Now, I think that we can all understand this, every one of us, that if we were told that we would be executed 24 hours from now, I think we'd be stressed. I think we wouldn't sleep. I think we would feel emotional and, and, and physical stress all over us. I get that. Not only that, but what if we were told that we were going to be crucified on a cross, right? But that, my friends, was not the full reason why Jesus was under this much stress, under this much duress. There was so much more at hand. There was so much more that Jesus understood. This Jesus was agonizing over this thought that he was now having to take on the sins of the world upon him, that the sin, this wrath of God that was to come, this wrath of God against sin, that Jesus was gonna now take the blunt of all of it, and that's what was giving him the stress. That's what was agonizing his soul to the point of where he's saying, God, I don't know, Father, if I can do this thing. It is so heavy. It costs so much. And he's sweating drops of blood because he's making that decision to say, I will submit. I will, I will do what is asked of me, to fully submit and fully surrender. I mean, we, friends, we got we to take a moment to really grasp the magnitude of what Jesus is doing in this moment. And not only that, but he's going to his friends in the, in the time that he needs them the most. In a time where he's saying, I'm going through so much duress and stress and I'm going through all this pressure and I don't know what to do. And he goes to his closest buddies and he's pulling them in and he's saying, will you just pray with me for an hour? Will you just not let me be alone? I just need you to be there and help me and support me. And what do they do? They let him down. 
I think it's a good picture of Jesus, our Savior, to know that, because that, I think that some of you guys understand what it's like to, to go through so much disappointment or stress in your life and feel like the people closest to you are letting you down and you feel all alone. If you feel that way this morning, then I want to comfort you with this truth, is that Jesus understands that, that he went through and endured that so that you can come to him in those moments in life. He paid the price so that you can never, or you won't have to experience any of that alone. I mean, isn't that comforting to know that you can pray to a Savior that, that when you're under that type of situation that he's going to come alongside you and wrap his arm around you and say, I want to help you through it because I came through that? And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. It's beautiful. I love that. Let's keep reading. He says, verse 43, he says, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared with him with a crowd of arms, a, a, a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal to them, saying, one kiss of the, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going all at once, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested. Then one who was standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Uh, some action now, huh? He says, and I'm, he says, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scripture must be fulfilled. Take note of this. It's important. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind now, am I the only one that thinks that's a pretty weird <laughs> detail dropped in the middle of this gospel, <laughs> right? What does this mean? Why did, see, some historians believe that, that this might have been young John Mark. How, they, how do they know that or why do they believe that? Well, tr- church tradition says, and we read last week about how, you know, the early church met in John Mark's household, right? That's where we see them when, when, when uh, Peter's arrested. Historians believe that this upper room was in, in Mark, John Mark's house was actually the place of the Last Supper, which they also believe might have been the, the place of, uh, of the day of Pentecost when they had the prayer meeting. I mean, there's some significance there. And there's, you know, some people trying to fill in the gaps and think that maybe what happened here is that Judas and the crowd, they show up to that house that they just had the Last Supper in, which happened to be John Mark's house, uh, on the night of, the, of Jesus' arrest, because that's where they thought Jesus was. And maybe young John Mark was asleep, but heard the ruckus and, 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 and realized what was going on, and jumping out of bed, not pulling on his full clothes, ran out to the garden to warn Jesus and his disciples. I know I'm feeling in a lot there, but that's kind of what history, the historians believe, that maybe this, that's how he showed up there. That's why he's only wearing his PJs. <laughs> but you know, Jesus wasn't gonna run. Jesus knew the hour has come, and he was praying, preparing himself. And so maybe John Mark showed up and said, Jesus, they're coming. And it was at that time when they showed up there that maybe they realized, hey, weren't you the kid that was over at the house? What were you doing here? And maybe grabbed him, and he took off. I don't know. I don't know if that's the reason, but the, really the point of this whole thing is that Jesus was all alone. Jesus was abandoned. Everybody took off. In his moment of need, everybody fled, even his followers. Verse 53, 
It says, they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right in the courtyard of the high priest where he sat with the guards and warmed himself for the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. You should mark that. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave a false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another, not with hands. Yet even in their testimonies did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you going to answer what this testimony of these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. We don't need to see anymore or hear any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard it blasphemy. What do you think? And listen, they said they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then all began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and they beat him. While Peter was was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming herself, she looked closely at him and says, aren't you with the Nazarene Jesus? But he denied it. I don't know him. I don't understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went away into the entry. And then the servant girl saw him there. And she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a while, those who are standing near Peter said, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know what this man that you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. I know I gave you lots of scripture there. and I wanted you to see all the things that Jesus had to endure during these few hours. I want to unpack four things here in this narrative that Jesus had to endure. He had to, and you're taking notes, write this down. He had to endure the cup, the betrayal, the trial, and the denial. And my hope is that as you see this, you would understand what it means when I say that the love of God and the wrath of God actually go together. So what is the cup? Well, in the cup, if you're familiar with Old Testament scripture, there was a symbolism of the cup. It was the cup of God's wrath. And we see this mentioned in the New Testament with Paul where he says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, I want to point out something about God, about Christ in this. Is that as God looks into the world and he sees the brokenness, if he, when he sees the sinfulness, when he sees the murder and the rape and the abuse and the mistreatment of, of the innocent. And when he sees all these injustices, we serve a God that doesn't just stand there and watch it all happen. He's not the God that is okay with it, like some people believe. God doesn't just stand there and see all this brokenness and look at it and just say, hey, well, you know, I'm just love. I just love. I just love. No, he's a God who wants to do something about it. See, God is fully love, which produces in him a, a wrath against anyone or anything that is going to harm the ones he loves. Let me just say this one more time. God is fully love, which produces in him a wrath against anyone or anything that is going to harm 
the ones he loves. Let me give you an example. You see this woman sitting in the front row? I love her. I love her. My wife, in case anybody was no. <laughs> my kids, my three kids, man, I love those. I love my kids. I mean, they're next on the list after God, right? Uh, I'm sorry, but you're the top, you're in the top five, okay? In case you're wondering, and so are the Raiders. <laughs> but let me tell you this. You know, if anybody tried to harm my wife and my kids, better believe I'm not just going to sit back and watch. You better believe that I'm not just going to stand there and allow that, but I'm going to interject. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to get involved. You know, I get really protective over my kids. I mean, when my kids come home or something and they tell me something going on at school or somebody makes fun of them, oh, there's something in me that just rises up, right? I'm just like, I want to go talk to that kid and talk to their parents, you know? It's like, right. Like, I'm that protective, when I see that my family or my kids are getting mistreated and, you know, there's something in me that's like, no, I can't allow that. And I want to tell you that I'm just a flawed man. Can you imagine a holy God, what he thinks, how he feels? So when we think of God's love for us, when we think about his wrath that is stored up against anything and anyone that is causing harm towards his bride, towards his son, Jesus, imagine all the wrath that is stored up, all the things that are stored up. You wonder as we unpack the next thing where he says this about the one that would betray him. He says, woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better off if he was never born. It's Mark 14, 21. We see the cup, and now we're talking about the betrayal. Now, when I used to think of uh, Judas, I used to think of this, like, just this shady, sinister character, right? I don't know if you read the Bible through in the gospel, and you see what he did and what, how he looks in this. In my mind's eye, I thought, man, this guy is, like, just this creeper-looking guy. I want to ask you a question. If he was a Disney villain, who would you think he would be? Right? Some of you Disney fans. Kind of on. Yeah? Yeah, with somebody. Now, I used to think that he would look like Jafar from Aladdin. You remember that dude? <laughs> All right, he just looks shady. Look at him, man. He just, just don't trust this guy, right? You know, this menacing look. This looks bad. Or, or how about Scar from The Lion King, right? Like, you just see, like, just the evil in his eyes. But, you know, the more I started thinking about Judas and what he did and how he did it, I think he was more like Hans. Not our Hans here at the church, right? But this Hans, <laughs> From Frozen, and you guys seen Frozen, right? See, Hans pretended to love Anna because he was only after one thing, and that was the throne. And just to be fair, I don't think Judas pretended to love Jesus in the very beginning. I don't think so. He only began to plot against Jesus when Jesus began to say things and do things that didn't fit in Judas's agenda of what he wanted. When he realized that Jesus wasn't the king that he thought, he checked out. He changed his mind on following this Jesus. And at that moment, you see that he's starting to plot against, and how can I capitalize on this relationship that I have with Jesus? What amazes me is that this guy, Judas, man, he, he walked and talked with Jesus for three and a half years. He, he heard every sermon preached. He saw every blind eye be opened by Jesus. I mean, he was, he, on the outside, everybody looked at him and said, man, he's one of Jesus's guys. He's one of Jesus's closest friends. I mean, he loves Jesus. 
And look how he betrays Jesus. He doesn't betray Jesus with an accusation. He doesn't betray Jesus with a, with a slap in the face or a punch in the face, but how does he betray Jesus with a kiss on a cheek? Even in his betrayal, he's doing it in a way that shows that he's like this friend to Jesus with this act of affection. Can you imagine Jesus during this moment? I believe it broke Jesus' heart as he's seeing Judas show up on the scene. All this mob of people in the middle of the night coming after Jesus with clubs and swords and torches. And they're coming to get Jesus. And, and Judas is right in the front of them all. And he's going right up to Jesus. He's the first one. Jesus is looking. The disciples are, are, are waking up from their nap. And they're just like, what is going on? And they see this crowd of soldiers, these guards that are aggressive. And, and, and they're ready to do something. And you know what? You see Judas, probably with a big smile on his face, a big hug, hey, everybody, grabs Jesus and gives him a kiss on the cheek. Wow. I think some of you know the sting of being betrayed by somebody you love, by a friend, somebody you didn't expect. I want to tell you, man, God knows. Jesus experienced that pain. He knows. I mean, that's another insight of our Jesus but Jesus had to endure injustice by enduring the cup, the betrayal, and the trial. Now, when you read this trial, man, you know it's, it's messed up, right? Like there is just six reasons why this was illegal at the time. I'm just going to give you three for the sake of time. Number one, it was held in the middle of the night. They didn't hold court at the middle of the night. They didn't hold court before the morning sacrifices. So this was already illegal. It shows the hypocrisy of this group that was breaking all their rules and accusing Jesus of breaking one. What you also see is that anybody who was accused and was put in the trial, they had the right to have three witnesses to stand with them. We see here that Jesus didn't have one. He wasn't allowed one witness to speak up for him. But he had all these false witnesses in this court. And another one is that there was a law that they had that you could not hold a trial before the Sabbath or before a major festival. And what was happening at the time? One of their major ones, Passover. So there's many reasons why this shouldn't have happened, why it was, it was, it was just a, a messed up trial. And yet they come to Jesus and they say, okay, this will all go away. We won't, we won't do anything any further if you deny that you're God. If you deny that you're God, if you lie in this moment and you say you're not who you're saying you are, then we'll let you go. But guess what? God cannot lie. And he was silent until they asked him, who are you? Are you God? And he said, I am. I am. Jesus didn't fight back. And we see that during this whole situation, this, this, this court that was a joke and with all the treatment that was in Jesus, uh, what do we see? They, they spit on him and they, and, they, and they hit him and they abused him and Peter is in the courtyard listening and seeing all that's going on. And that leads us to the next one, the denial. Peter, the one that promised Jesus, I will never leave you. Those guys might, but I'm not gonna leave you. What does he do? He denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And when we look at these things and we see what Jesus had to endure, right? What did he have to endure? He had to endure the cup of wrath. He had to endure the betrayal of a friend. He had to endure a trial that was false. He had to endure a denial from someone who he showed faithfulness and loyalty towards. And I think there's only one word that can sum up that, right? When we hear that, come on, it's like I told that story about the Disneyland cutter, line cutter, right? You're just like, yes, justice, right? And we hear about what Jesus had to go through and everything in us wants to scream, that's 
unjust. Because Jesus didn't deserve any of that. He didn't deserve any of that. For three years, he healed the sick. He loved the marginalized. He cared for those that were sick and lonely and brought them in. I mean, Jesus was love. And here we see that the the religious leaders hated him and his disciples deserted him. Jesus. Now, before we can read this story and point our fingers at these guys and say, how could they? How could they treat Jesus like this? Jesus who loved them unconditionally. Before we say, what on earth were they thinking? How could they? I can't believe they're the worst. I think before we go there, if we're thinking that, here's the thing. Scripture tells us that Jesus did not go to the cross just because of the Jewish authorities or just because of the failure of his disciples. Scripture tells us that Jesus was sent to the cross because we all have sinned. We're all guilty of the same injustices. You hear what I'm hearing? You hear what I'm saying? It wasn't just the apathy of these 11 disciples that were asleep when Jesus showed up and said, hey, I need you to do something. No. We're all guilty of being apathetic towards God when he asks us to do something. And we choose not to. We choose to like, ah, okay, Jesus is putting something on our heart, says, I need you to do this, I want you to do that. And we're just like, eh, I'd rather give in and give up. I'd rather just let my flesh take over. And that's the temptation that Jesus told them that they needed to pray about. It wasn't just the denial of Peter that Jesus died for. How many times do we deny, are we guilty of denying Jesus in front of our coworkers or our neighbors, our family, because we don't want to be labeled a religious fanatic. Oh, no. How many times do we deny him when we're alone with our computers or scrolling on our phone? It wasn't just this unjust corruption of this trial that sent Jesus to the cross. It was the corruption that happens in our hearts. Right? Can we be real? When we give false witness, when we slander people, when we falsely accuse others, when we gossip and spread rumors about people. It wasn't just the betrayal of Judas that sent Jesus to the cross. It was the fact that we can become betrayers too. See, the heart of a betrayer is someone that will stop at nothing to get what they want for their own interest. See, the crazy thing about a betrayer is that they always give up more than what they receive. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And some of us have betrayed Jesus for a lot less. The acceptance of others. For the sake of preventing awkwardness. For a simple and temporary pleasure. Now, if we're to be honest, and can we be honest this morning in church? We can't look at these Jewish authorities and these disciples and think that we're actually better than them. Because there was only one good guy ever, and he was Jesus. And I think so many times we can look at this story and we say, man, those are the bad guys. Oh, we're all the bad guys. We've all caused him to go to the cross. It was our sin that he bore. 
doesn't take me long, friends, to search my own heart. And I see this, this, this greedy little heart sometimes that just wants more and more. It doesn't take me long to look at my heart and find envy there, this envious heart, especially when I'm on social media and I'm scrolling through and I'm thinking, man, why has everybody got it better than me? I deserve some of that. They, they're doing this. They get those opportunities. They get those likes. It doesn't take me long to see this prideful heart rise up when I'm feeling like maybe I'm better than somebody else. It doesn't take me long to realize that I have this deceitful heart when I'm not being honest, when I stretch the truth a little bit for my advantage, when I don't follow through on my word, when I do one thing and not the other. It doesn't take me long to realize what's in my heart. And I want to tell you this, how pathetic would God be if he sees all these things that exist and he sees all the pain and the suffering that this little heart causes and what I have done or what we have done or what humanity has done and just sit there and do nothing about it. Would that be a loving God? Absolutely not. See, sometimes we have this ability of minimizing our sin and and downplaying God's holiness. I love what Pastor Matt and writer Matt Chandler says. He says, when it comes to the consequences to our sin, punishment has less to do with the act and more to do with who the act was done against. Let me give you an example of that. Let's just take one topic, lying, okay? If I say a lie and I post it on social media or or I lie to somebody through social media, right? What's the consequence of that? That would probably unfriend me, unfollow me, Right? If I lie to a friend, a close friend, the consequence to that may be that they stop being my friend, that I lose that relationship. Man, if I lie to my boss, what's the consequence of that? It gets a little heavier, right? I could get fired. Let me ask you this. If I lied to the Supreme Court of the United States under oath, I'd be committing perjury and I'd be in prison. See, the punishment has less to do with the act and more to do with the act, who the act was done against. And who the act was committed against determines the punishment. So what happens when we're guilty of not just those things, but so many other things against an infinite, holy, righteous, and eternal God? It would only make sense that the consequences would be eternal, infinite, punishment. We call that the wrath of God. That's the bad news. But thank God for the good news. (laughs) Thank God for the good news. Thank God that he sent us the good news, which we call the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God saw that and knew that, and yet before you were born, already created a way that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. Come on, that should get somebody excited. This is what Easter's all about. But first, you gotta understand what he did. Man, I couldn't imagine living life without the gospel. The gospel. And as you see the gospel, you see that God is righteous and just. And so he pours out his wrath, and there had to be eternal consequences to sin, right? And that's just, that's, it had to be. But out of that righteous and just God, there is also a God of love. I mean, because God is love, then out of that, he is righteous and just. Amen? That's the truth. That's the full Bible truth. 
So as we see this through the gospel writer Mark's eyes, as he's describing the events that happened, and we see what Jesus was going through and what he had to endure, we see that Jesus made this decision, this decision when, when all of God's wrath was getting poured out on humanity. And Jesus stood in the way. And he says, I know that they lie. I know that they cheat. I know that they murder. I know that they cut each other down. I know they cause war. I know that they, all these things. But he says, but I love them so much that I want to stand in their place. I want to receive the full blunt of the raft. I want to receive it all for them because he loved us that much. Not only that, but he loved the Father even more that he said, Father, I'm going to submit to your will. Because, because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. <laughs> that's Easter, friends. That's what, this, that's what we celebrate. That's what this is all about. There should be more shouting and yelling and screaming and clapping in a place like this because we have found this out to be true. And we know the power of the gospel. And I just sense in my heart that there might be some of us that are just, we're struggling right now. We're just like, wow, where do I go with this? And I feel like I gotta address just one thing before we close. I think some of us have come to a place like this or maybe we have some bad theology in our minds that we think that, that, that bad things happen to me because I'm a bad person. You know, and I'm not talking about you just making unwise moves, un- bad decisions and you're walking out that consequence. No, I'm talking about something bigger than that. I'm talking about you believing in bad luck or you believing in, you know what, like because I've done so many things in my past, everything that's happening to me right now, I deserve it. This is just God's way of punishing my life punishing me and I'm kind of living my life in penance towards God that it hopes that maybe one day I could do enough good things to outweigh the bad things and maybe one day God will accept me my hope is on my deathbed I could just find that little bit of peace I know Christians that believe that you know what that's called? that's called karma that's called believing in karma you don't believe in the gospel you believe in karma because karma is this is like you get what you deserve you do good, you, do, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. It's just this universal justice that happens and no one's really in control of it. It just happens. That's not the gospel. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is that Jesus got what he didn't deserve so that you have the opportunity to receive what you don't deserve. That's the gospel. And many of us need to be free today to receive the full gospel that is not about us, it's not about what we can do, it's not about what we can earn, it's not about how many things I can do and store up. No, Jesus did it all. The raft was stored up, yet he took it all, every ounce of it, because he gave us every ounce of his blood on that day. He was completely dead, friends, because everything came out of him. He gave it all for you and I. And on the third day, he rose again so that we could have life, that we could have proof that resurrection is real and it's there for you today. Can we stand? I just sense in my heart this morning that there is many ways we could respond 
but you have a unique way to respond. Whatever God's been speaking to you through his glorious word, that if you're here today and you've never experienced his freedom, if you've never experienced the salvation through Christ, if you're saying, God, wash me clean, take away my sins, let me live this new life, there's a great exchange that happens, friends. It says that when we bring him our sins, what does he do? He gives us his righteousness. And if you have not experienced that, there's only one way. Just like Jesus said, there is only one way. If there's any other way, Father, but there wasn't. And today's proof that there's only one way, and it's through Christ and the cross. And so if that's you this morning, oh, I'm so excited for you because God, he loves you so much that he brought you here this morning. And the word came alive to you today. And I want you to respond. And I think this is the most important thing you could ever do with your life. So if that's you this morning, friend, will you right now be so bold to just show the outside what's going on on the inside and have this testimony today to say, I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to ask for forgiveness. I've decided to surrender my life and become a follower of Jesus. If that's you this morning, will you raise your hand right now? Because I wanna pray for you. I wanna help you lead you and usher you. Come on, there's hands coming up. Yes, amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. Amen, you can put your hand down. In a few moments, we're gonna make this, we're gonna do a prayer. And, that's, and you're just gonna receive what Jesus does for you. Now, I think there's some of us here, man, you hear this story and your heart's broken. Some of you have been living in the distance and now you wanna get closer and you're just like, God, I've always thought of you one way, but today I see a revelation of who you are. Will you respond to that? Some of you are broken from being betrayed. Some of you are broken because of other things that are happening in your life and you're just like, God, I, I need a God who understands me. Today you heard today that there's a God in heaven who understands you. He's a perfect intercessor on your behalf in heaven and here on earth and his name is Jesus. Will you reach him? Will you touch, will you reach out to him right now and say, God, heal my heart? Wherever, wherever you land. And then for the rest of us, if you're here today, I want you to celebrate. I want you to praise God for this gift of salvation for enduring what he had to endure to rescue us so all of us can pray in this room. Come on, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, let's go before God. God, I lift up my friends to you that for the very first time are coming before the cross and they're saying, the cross of Jesus I believe in and I'm gonna receive what you did for me wholeheartedly right now, give you all of me and I surrender my life and I say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I repent of those things. I, watch, I, I walk away from those things and now I walk towards you and I say, I wanna live the life you called me to live. So if that's you, friends, will you just, in your own words, talk to Jesus right now. You have this gateway right now through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, to talk to him, connect with him. And God, I pray for the brokenhearted today. Those that may feel alone, those may feel abused, those may feel rejected, those may feel, Lord God, that they've endured so much injustice in their life, God, and they're screaming out and they're saying, does God care? I wanna tell you today, God cares, God loves, and the message of the gospel is to say that he identifies, but he also wants to come and support you, carry you through, equip you, strengthen you, so that this could be part of your story to glorify him. So if that's anybody here today, God, help them to forgive, help them to receive your forgiveness for others, Lord. Help them to be a light in the midst of so much darkness. You could do that. And for the rest of us, let us never go a day without realizing, God, how good we have it, how great life is, how, how, how wonderful the promise is of a new life and eternity with you. 
We thank you for all you did and the gift of beautiful salvation that you've given us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Invite somebody to Easter. We're excited to be an open house this year. God bless you. Have a great day.